0: I don't think we often realize how divorced we are from the land. You know, our ancestors rose, you know, th- their whole calendar, of their day was seasonal. Mm-hmm. And you know, they got up when the sun rose, and they went to bed when the sun set. So the Acanians were especially tied to the land. It was, uh, you know, they're, they were noted for their beautiful apple orchards. And women, interestingly enough, in that time period, tended the
1: orchards Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers. I'm back for Season 7 of Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm so excited about this episode and the episodes we have ahead of us in Season 7. Today, I'm talking with Laura France, who almost needs no introduction, especially if you've been listening to Historical Fiction Unpacked for any time, because as I mentioned in the episode, this is the fourth time she's been on the show. So I obviously love her. I love to have her on the show. She is an amazing author. Last time she was on was last spring. We talked about The Rose and the Thistle, which is a book about Scotland. And this time, she's on talking about her latest novel, *The Seamstress of Acadie*, which is about the very sad and horrific expulsion of the Acadians from Canada, well, from what is now Nova Scotia. So, um, I think everything else is explained in the interview. So, I won't get too much into what her book is about and all of that. But I do want to kind of give you some housekeeping things as we start this new season. At the beginning of last season season six, I said that I was going to try some um, advertising maybe. And I did that at the end of the season. There were two episodes where we used um, canned ads and (laughs) I decided to can those because um, I just, I felt like they were just like too much for the time we have together. And um, I wasn't completely thrilled with the content of those ads. So they, I guess, I'm pretty sure that they will stay in those two episodes for posterity, but um, I've discontinued that program. So it will just be me talking to you. And I'm hoping that maybe I can get some sponsors for the show. We will see what happens in the future with that. But I just didn't think it was worth it to have the ad program just inserting ads willy-nilly without me getting to really listen to them first and see what it's going to sound like. So that's where we stand with advertising right now. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to my conversation with Laura France. Laura, thank you for joining me on the show again today. I always look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Oh, so do I. Your latest novel, The Seamstress of Acadie, released on January 9th, which was just this week. So can you tell me about this book? Which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing. I, I
0: Oh, I no, them. you're doing it. Yeah, the French <laughs> pronunciation is quite different. But The Seamstress of Acadia is probably the most difficult book I've ever written, mostly because the research materials are often in French. Mm. And also, there's just not many of them. It, it's a little known episode in history. It's also Canadian history or French and Indian War history. Yeah. It, The novel opens in 1755, and you have present-day Nova Scotia was called Acadie back then. And you have this amazing group of people. They were French Acadians, French speakers. Some of them spoke, were multilingual. But they had lived in this almost pristine environment. Uh, Nova Scotia is very beautiful. Uh, You can imagine what it was like in 1755. Lots of apple orchards, lots of dikes, lots of cattle, um, lots of grain. And these people are noted for uh, having kind of an idyllic existence because they had very low rates of disease. The infant mortality was almost unknown, mm. where you, you compare a Katie with the rest of the the world, that was not the case, even in colonial America. Right. And so the French and Indian, or the French, And the British fought over this territory very fiercely, and it had been going on for a long time, but in 1755, it reached its peak. And so there the novel opens, and you have a young Acadian woman who happens to be a seamstress, and you have uh, some historical fireworks when the hero is actually one of the British army And that was kind of a cataclysmic situation that I tried to develop heartbreaking history. It's hard to thread that history with hope,
1: Mm -hmm. but
0: I, I tried to do what I could do with that.
1: Yeah. So I think it was the second time I had you on the show that we talked about Acadia because you were researching or maybe writing this novel, and I was also researching Acadia. Um, yeah,
0: that's right. Last year, in the winter, and we were discussing, because we didn't realize, I don't think, until that broadcast, um, that we were both invested in Acadia. <laughs> I mean, the history. And it's um, doubly amazing, because most people don't even know that history. Right. It's hidden
1: history. Yeah. And um, I think... What drew my attention to it is my, my daughter's my youngest, her name is Evangeline. Um yeah. and that there's a poem about Evangeline. Um and she's And, she and is if Acadian. not
0: for that, yes, the I mean, poem nobody might really know about that. Because that really put the history on the map right. with that with that very poignant Piece of verse, right? Long, long, you know, long poetry,
1: long, like, right, long form poetry, but it was very, long um, form. very well known. Um, but what I was, so I was researching at the time when we talk, uh, talked about it. So I've been looking forward to this book for several years now, <laughs> I oh, think. Oh, I hope it's worth the wait. Oh, of course, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, what inspired you first to write this novel?
0: You know I was thinking back, and sometimes you you have a clear memory of the inspiration behind it, and then sometimes you you don't it just kind of snowballs and yeah. this this thing that takes hold of you and propels you forward, and you write i I think what the origin for me was that I have a French um ancestress is that even a word who came to America in the 18th century and she was married to an Englishman so in my ancestry and genealogy mm-hmm. uh, my DNA even reads heavily french mm-hmm. which i find fascinating so we have this french speaking woman in the 18th century that married an englishman by the name of blanton and they and their slaves which you know sadly was that history at the time yeah. came into yeah. kentucky after daniel boone and settled what is called blanton's flat in jackson County, Kentucky, which was then a part of Virginia, Western Virginia, uh, very um, how we wish we could go back and just be a fly on the wall and look at our ancestors and what they did. Because at that time, it was a very violent territory. And Jackson County, even today, has retained that Reputation. Oh wow! So you know, all these centuries later, Jackson County is considered rough. Mm-hmm. So they came there, and um, you know, a, a French woman and her English husband, which tells an interesting story on its own. And then these slaves that came in with them after Daniel Boone. So that intrigued me. And then you have the Cajun culture in Louisiana, which the root of that culture was. Often, you know, from the Acadian expulsion, right. and then they were dispersed all over. But uh, many of them settled in Louisiana and uh, have a thriving culture and their own language today. So I think that two two of those things kind of leapt out at me, and I just started investigating. And then when you get the right research, finally, and you do a little digging, it just, the history kind of took hold for me.
1: Right. And it's really interesting. So many of your books, if not all of them kind of came from your own ancestral research. Yes. Yes.
0: I tend to be, I think if you have a human kind of foothold or a personal tie, it, it helps propel it. Yeah, you know, there's especially with the rose and the thistle, which was the last book I wrote. in yes. Scotland was based on my Hume ancestry, and I was so, I, I absolutely loved that story. And you know, personally, authors, if they had to rank that their books, that would be one of my top in my top probably 10 of the 15 I've written. I don't, they're all children, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't like to, you know, I don't like to, to single books out. Like I would never single children out. I love each child in each book for different reasons, you know? Right. But I think the ones that have personal history, your author's personal history attached, have a deeper level of meaning perhaps.
1: Yeah. I think, I think so, and I but I really loved that book too. I mean, it, it really um, engrossed me. So
0: I, I remember your very <laughs> gracious comments, and you helped spur me on to think that it had, you know, uh, some meaning because you're a savvy reader. And oh, thank you. You're a well-read woman, and uh, so I don't take those comments lightly. So thank you. Oh,
1: thank you. Um, and thank you for writing such a beautiful book, and this one too. I mean, there's so much rich, especially the description of the setting. So I just thought it was so um, vivid. And I said that about the rose and the thistle as well. So can you kind of, I mean, you described the setting a little bit, uh, but why is it important to the overall plot? I mean, I think I know, um, but I don't know if all the listeners know about the Acadian expulsion and and what happened exactly
0: right it, it that's such an excellent question i don't think we often realize how divorced we are from the land you know our ancestors rose you know th- their whole calendar their day was seasonal mm-hmm. and you know they got up when the sun rose and they went to bed when the sun set so the Akkadians were especially tied to the land it was uh, you know, they're they were noted for their beautiful apple orchards, and women, interestingly enough, in that time period tended the orchards. The men took care of the dikes and the cattle, primarily. But they were they were deeply, deeply attached to their land. And by the time the story opens in 1755, Sylvie and the Galants were. Uh, had been on that land. It was kind of grandfathered or great grandfathered in for them, and so you have the ancestral tie to the land. But you also everything they did was tied to the land, and I wanted that to come through. And you give me hope that perhaps the setting shone a little bit. Oh
1: yeah, definitely. And um, I'm sorry. Were you going to say more about?
0: Um, well, I will. And I don't like to confess this, but. Um, the closest I've been to the setting in Nova Scotia was I flew over at once in a <laughs> hurricane on my way to England, and I think the winds were like 140 miles per hour. But oh anyway, it was a horrendous experience. I didn't think we would live through that flight. Oh, my goodness. But wow. at the, yeah, at the beginning of the pandemic, I had hoped to go to Grand Prix, and that's you know one of the places that the Acadians have so much heart-rending history but the pandemic happened and then every every plan that i had and most people had was scuttled right. now i haven't been able to make up that time or that trip so the most i could do is just rely on the historical record and you know descriptions of the landscape which that that landscape is epic and even all these hundreds of years later i can understand why it was fought over
1: Yes, well, that's interesting because I, you had me going to maps to figure out exactly.
0: Oh yeah, where, <laughs> where <laughs> I these? love readers like you.
1: <laughs> where was this, like, um, island and the bay that she where she was living? Yeah. Um, and Which I still
0: exists. Yes, and it's just, and they have you know historical markers up and and museum that yes. I would love to see, but it will be after the fact.
1: Right. Well, on Google Maps, you can go to, um, you can see that you can visit the forts, the different yes. forts that you talked about. So, but I have been to Nova Scotia and I have been to Prince Edward Island, which was fought over as well.
0: Yes. Yes. So you were right there in the heart of the story. <laughs> what, what are your impressions and memories, epic?
1: um, Of that land? I mean... It's so beautiful. I mean, especially so. We took a trip in 2015, I believe, to Acadia National Park and then continue north to. um, Right.
0: And I've been to Acadia National Park too. And they say, and I don't know that it's true because I I haven't tested it myself, but that it's quite different, Acadia National Park, from actually northern the reaches of actual Nova Scotia. Right.
1: Meeting. I actually don't have – like, I, I haven't been to that specific area unless mm-hmm. we just drove through it on our way to Prince Edward Island, um, the area of Nova Scotia that right. – it is in Nova Scotia now, right? The the It uh, is,
0: right. And then there are other areas, you know, the islands and different right. – yeah, but it's kind of like incorporates a lot of that.
1: Yes, and my biggest impression is red cliffs and – Very, very cold water, (laughs) the Mm -hmm. ocean. But I almost, I want to go back and and see, because I probably didn't focus on that that specific area.
0: You weren't looking at it through a historical lens at that point.
1: Well, I think I was, but more, at that time, I was more interested in, um, you know, where Lucy Maude Montgomery had lived. And that was much later. And that's why
0: right. she's one of my favorite literary heroines, or uh, you know, yeah. real factual literary uh, heroines.
1: Right? Yeah. And her story was so interesting because I don't want to get too off on this tangent because
0: <laughs> we did. that's another podcast <laughs> series, right?
1: Right. But when I I visited as a child, Prince Edward Island, and I was more interested then in in, in Anne Shirley, Anne of Green Gables, sure. and sure. but when I visited as an adult, I was Really fascinated by the life of Lucy von Montgomery and
0: me too um
1: just her
0: journals, if you probably read them are incredible.
1: I have not read them i I would like to because I just found it so fascinating then, but you know how you you learn something and then you you never get back, not never. Well, but- it's-
0: it's a rabbit trail because there's so many fascinating things, and they always present themselves to us continually. Yeah. So we have to, yeah, really. I actually read her journals when I was about your age. Okay. Because you're younger than me, lucky you. And <laughs> and I think I wouldn't have appreciated them until I was young, you know, until I had been that age, right? And I would like now to, as an older woman, to go back and reread them because they made a lasting impact on me. Her life is not our her real life is not as presented yeah. in her novels. It's truly no. amazing.
1: and that is um, what was most interesting to me. Is it seemed that she was only happy when yes. she was on Prince Edward Island. It
0: like I think that's fair, very fair to say, and insightful.
1: Well, okay, moving back. <laughs> to <Acadia. laughs> back to because <submission> <laughs> um, we could go on that. On yes. about that. If problem. you ever do
0: a series on that, I'll come back on and okay. we'll talk about Lucy Maud. <laughs> okay, that sounds good.
1: Yeah. Um, so your two protagonists, Sylvie Gal- Galon, is that how you say it?
0: Yes, Galon. Galon. Right. I don't think the T is even pronounced yes, in the French.
1: Right. And William Blackburn. So they're on opposing sides. And can you tell me more about their character, their characters, and how their story unfolds without? you know, you don't want to give spoilers, but.
0: Right, right. Great, excellent, another excellent question. Um, I especially love as a writer, you know, you do, you get, you so you plow your way, literally plowing your way through a 400 page novel as an author. And you're, you know, tilling that soil for the reader. and And there are certain scenes when you come to the end of the novel that stand out to you. And one is when, Sylvie meets William or Will. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't want to say too much, like you said, it's at the well, you know, often those houses had a little courtyard, which was quite charming. And, uh, you know, they meet at the well, and she is mistaken about him at first, and literally has one of those when she sees him or meets him. Uh, This is a young woman in her 20s and a young man, I think he's about thirty. You know, she has been raised with you know in a the gallant clan. She's used to young men. She's in regular association with young men. She has several brothers, but there's something about this William Blackburn. He's a fluent French speaker. Mm-hmm. Number one, I don't think I like to think of the novel that he didn't have any sort of accent, no colonial American, mm-hmm. no Scottish accent, but he spoke fluent French. And often men like him, frontiersmen or um, rangers, he was like, you know, a ranger in the army at that time. They were multilingual. Uh, Sylvie's brother, Blue, was multilingual. These men were extremely uh Intelligent. They, you know, spoke multiple languages. They understood different cultures. They covered tremendous territory and just really phenomenal part of that culture. So she meets him and she's been used to very capable men, but there's something about this man that just sends her kind of head over heels. Now, that doesn't happen in all my novels, but it happens with her. But part of it is because she doesn't get who he is yet. But that's a mystery the reader can kind of unfold. And he is equally taken with her. You know, you hear love stories where there's an instant attraction. I wouldn't say people fall You know, I was love at first sight. I don't know that I believe that. I think there can be attraction at first sight based solely on the physical. And that often happens. Mm -hmm. Um, That happens all the time. And that is definitely what happens between uh, Sylvie and William at the well. But you have to wait, dear readers. (laughs) I make you wait. And there's a reason, if you'd like me to elaborate on that, Allison, why I don't bring Will into the story for quite a few chapters. There's the reason is some romance readers will probably wail, (laughs) but um, I wanted to focus on Sylvie's viewpoint entirely. I wanted the reader to experience Sylvie's world without any intrusion or interruption, her very idyllic. I mean, it was a life of hard work, but, you know, we are writing historical romance, so it is a little bit sugar-coated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she has a loving, warm, extended family. She lives in a very idyllic setting. She's disease-free. You know, nobody has died in her family. The war is looming, but it has loomed for a century and a half by that point. Lots of fighting. That is, She probably has PTSD to name, you know, a modern term. Yes, but you know, you—it's just, just in was a, a challenge to write, and so I didn't bring William in because I wanted when he his entrance to feel like an intrusion. I wanted you to maybe see that to Sylvie, this was a horrendous interruption of her often idyllic existence and i think a lot of acadians they were hard-working think life was not perfect it's a fallen world but i think in acadia at that time that was about as idyllic as you could get in 1755
1: right and then she suffers tremendous loss and trauma and right you put her on board a ship right no
0: spoilers but you know the expulsion is what it is like the name yeah, and um, it is just the most, some of the most horrendous history I've ever researched. And it was hard to put a hopeful spin on that, to be honest.
1: Yes. And, but I mean, that part of the book was so heartbreaking, but then you landed us in Colonial Virginia with some of your characters from a previous book.
0: <laughs> yes, and that was so fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> the problem, they weren't, they weren't, they were, they were they kind of rushed in and rushed out. <laughs> they were fleeting characters, but they served a purpose, mainly to say, this is what the welcome should have looked like for the Acadians, but only a few people stepped up.
1: Right. and And, but I just found that so fascinating because have you done that in other books, do you have crossover characters? No, no, no. Okay, because I hadn't seen it in any that I had read of yours. But I, right. I loved it. I was like, oh, here they are again. Right, <laughs> well, kind of a nice surprise because I didn't
0: make a lot of noise about it. Yeah, the people who really enjoyed *A Heart Adrift*, I wanted it to be a nice surprise for them. Yeah, and um, I did allude to the French very briefly in *A Heart Adrift*, the French encampment mm-hmm. uh, and. Henri was very aware of that. And so I thought, oh, that's a nice little historical point to kind of develop in that novel. It's because it was the same time period mainly, and not all my novels line up.
1: That right, way. right. Yeah, that's neat. So you mentioned how difficult it was to research for this because of all the material that was in French, and you didn't get to go there in person. So can you share? What what research you did or some of your research process?
0: Right it it was it was a challenge because there wasn't a lot of material available, and I had to be very careful because an author friend of mine said to me when I mentioned that I might do a, a novel about Acadian history. She she's Canadian, and mm-hmm. she said, "Well, there's a fictional novel that." is a recent novel that is about, you know, has been written about the Acadians and, you know, by a Canadian. So here's the title. And so I immediately went out and bought the book, but I didn't let myself read it until after I had written my book because I didn't want it to inform or there to be any overlap in that story. But interestingly enough, there was overlap simply because this other novel which I mention in my author note, I give you my resources. The reader can see things that I recommend, uh, books I recommend, both uh, nonfiction and fiction. This other novel that I rushed out to buy but didn't read had the same, I believe it was a Scottish hero, British Army, and an Acadian woman. And I was like, oh, my word. But, you know, when you think of – when you think of that history, I mean, what other, the you know, historically, what could have been, you can't get greater mileage out of anything but a British hero and an Acadian heroine or maybe an Acadian hero and a Brit, but that wouldn't work because there were British, British women on, you know, in Nova Scotia and mm-hmm. in the islands and whatever, but they weren't fighting to take away the territory. In a sense, they were, their men were. But um, so, you know, what what more could I write about? There's not anything that would be more appropriate than having a heroine who is going to come up against a hero and they're very at, at odds about what they want. Yes. Um, so anyway, there are several very good, excellent nonfiction books about the Acadian resistance now you have Sylvie's brother who is a part of that resistant resistance his name is blue he's multilingual he's also half Micmac uh, and another thing that I wanted to note about the Acadian culture is they were wonderfully integrated they welcomed and learned from traded and intermarried with the native tribes in a in a mind-boggling way that the rest of the colonial america especially never grasped yeah. it was not a it was more a shared experience it wasn't you know we're going to conquer you and take from you it, it really a remarkable uh history to look at as far as being integrated and and multicultural so to speak
1: right yeah that is very interesting that they were so um advanced in that way
0: yeah, have advanced is the right word, I mean, it took us we're <sighs> centuries behind them. We're still struggling with that, yeah, you know today,
1: right. but I did love uh Sylvie's family just how large and how interesting i mean uh, how close knit they were, I guess is what I'm trying to say, yes, they're like large and close knit, and you know there's a lot of of wonderful scenes with like banter and, and, um, right. it's so interesting. And the,
0: and the Christmas scene stood out with going to the barn. That actually was a very, yeah uh, a very treasured part of when they all traipse to the barn with the children to listen to, to see if they can hear the animals talk. Now there's a dark side to that, that I don't go into, but it would be great for like Jamie Joe Wright or somebody to take a spin on that, that, that kind of those dark overtones. But they were, I think the Acadians on the whole, you know, they're very tight, tightly knit mm-hmm. families and clans. They, you know, supported each other generations. You also had multi-generations living in the same house. Right. I didn't do that. I put Sylvie's grandparents down the bay. Um, but. Just a fascinatingly uh, intimate culture that seems to they seem to have existed in a lot of harmony. Yeah, and you know, maybe there's lessons that we can learn <laughs> there from that. They were a very loving family, which made the expulsion especially horrific yes. because you tore these families that had been there. You know, these all this interwoven history and community. For, for a long time. And that was destroyed.
1: Right. And what I didn't realize, because, um, you know, I knew that a lot of Acadians ended up in Louisiana, but I didn't realize that there were other settlements where they kind of landed in the United States.
0: Right. And I think America, shame on American history because there was such, you have, let me kind of, tell you what was going on on the frontiers you had the french and indians fighting on the french on the frontiers in america at that time right and so the press was in a furor and was printing that every french person was going to scalp you Mm -hmm. and they were threat, and they were going to burn down your house and you know take captive your children or whatever and um so the poisonous press at that time had convinced much of colonial america that the, any french people were a threat and so the colonial americans when they were faced with the expulsion they had not been warned they were these acadians were coming and so they were dropped into these ports without warning yeah and the reaction was extreme and very sad many of they think that half or more of the K- Acadians that were expelled died oh my goodness. in route wow. or shortly after they came there were ships that were just sunk full of Acadians oh goodness and yeah. there were ships that were denied entry into ports and they were left to be in these diseased holds, they were starving, there was no bathroom facilities, there was no way to wash. So you can imagine what happened, how it's nothing short of a miracle that there's a remnant of them in Louisiana with the Cajuns.
1: Mm -hmm. You
0: know, that did not happen in other parts of colonial
1: America, to my knowledge. Right. Wow, there's so much, um, so much history there to delve into, really.
0: And there's, and I'm not an authority on it by any stretch. You know, I took a year, year and a half to research it, which is, you know, not, you know, you, ha- you really do rely on mostly nonfiction accounts. Only after the novel was written did I allow myself to go back and read. Mm-hmm. Um, Other fictions. Graham's novel I talked about and then, uh, you know, the ones that I name in the author note. But um fascinating you know we each tell the story differently I think a Canadian probably can tell it better and a Canadian probably certainly could and mm-hmm. I'm neither of those things but I did the best I could
1: right well it's very it's a lovely story and it In know I mean parts of it are not lovely but it's a right. you know engaging right. and um just it piques your interest about you know finding out more
0: Right. So. Well, the reviews. I don't read a lot of reviews, and but readers send me some reviews, and if they send them, then I do take time for them. Um, and one of the things that has stood out so far is that they just didn't weren't aware of this history, and they found it just kind of mind blowing that they'd never ever heard of it. Right. And so they enjoyed. You know, I guess you can say enjoy in a sense learning about that, even though it was oh, it was horrific. Yeah. Uh, they enjoyed the fact that it was not cliched or it hadn't been done over and over. It was kind of a new look at a historical fiction
1: novel. Right. Yeah, definitely. So what are you working on next? What can follow the seamstress? No, that's a
0: loaded, (laughs) that's a loaded question. I love it. Uh, Well, I just signed a new contract in December for more books and, um, Yes, and I just handed in a book, my third Scottish novel, that it's a a standalone novel uh, to my editors January 1st, so a few days ago. Oh, great. And yeah, so that's coming and will be titled, titling, and cover art are underway. So I'll be able to share that with readers if you're on my socials or get my newsletter. And then right now I'm writing on a novella. I'm able now to do novellas. And I'm doing a novella about Oren Hume, who grows up. He's the youngest Hume brother. Oh, yeah. the Remember little Oren? Yes. He's seven in the story. Well, the novella, I'm um, actually, I'm, I'm almost finished. Um, Oren grows up. He's 32. And he is the Poet Laureate of Britain, oh, wow. which go, ties in with his little literary Ben, If you remember him from The Rose and the Thistle, he was always scribbling stories and drawing. And, yeah. and Lythe, our heroine, was always kind of hoping to foster that. Well, he has grown up, and so you get a novella about him. So nice. look for that next July, we hope, okay. if things continue well, and I've also started a uh, a frontier novel oh. that is going to be, uh, I guess, two years out now. But
1: okay. long long range
0: forecast with publishing always.
1: Yes, <laughs> but the next book to release will be another the Scottish. Scottish, okay, right, and yet to be named. And uh,
0: f- but hopefully, we'll share that. I, they usually decide on that my publisher Revelle, in February. So, and then I have to decide, do I share the title or do I just wait till it has a cover? You know, what makes the best memory oh, for readers? Yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Well, Laura, you are the first guest to come on my show four times. So,
0: Oh, I'm honored. <laughs> that's really that you must like me, Allison. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I do. But also... It means that I'm out of fun questions to ask at the end of the interview. I have, I do have one more question. It's not, but it's oh, just, good. I just don't think it's a, as um exciting as the other ones that I've used to end oh, interviews, but oh,
0: all yours are wonderful. I think so.
1: Going. Oh, thank you. Um, so this is what I have. Do you feel that writing this book, the seamstress of a Katie, um, do you think it changed your view of history at all?
0: Oh, it definitely did. And I, was so angry, belatedly, you know, centuries later at what the British did to the Acadians. Queen Elizabeth II, whom so many of us revere, who's now passed, yes. she actually, I believe, was it was in 2008 that she uh, issued an apology to the Acadian people oh, wow. for the British involvement in that whole debacle there. Wow. Um, which I thought was, of course, it, it. It's something. It's on the historical record now. It was very belated. Right. Uh, I was so I was horrified by that history,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: um, I I think after studying the American Revolution, you know, we're dealing with Acadian history in the French and Indian War at the start, but I think that if you're a believer and you look at things historically through a faith lens, yeah, I believe that. Uh, the Almighty, you know, Providence, as they often referred to, uh, back then, used George Washington to humble the British. Mm. And, and partly because of what they had done in Acadia.
1: Oh, wow. And
0: yeah, so I've often thought that came to mind as I was researching that the, the arrogant British who took this land and took it, um, so forcefully and did so much damage. Yeah. Uh, that's still being felt today, I think that you took a godly man who would never have done that mm-hmm. to to humble the British in a very resounding way. so right. that was kind of my uh my little victory cry <laughs> after dealing with all that hor- horrific history
1: yeah wow that's that's a really interesting way to look at it. I like that.
0: It was well, a hard novel to write, but I hope oh, readers. Sure. I read a review this morning that a reader had sent me that said she thought it hard history, but it was really suffused with hope. So I do hope that there's hope again. I do hope that readers find that to be true when they, if they read this.
1: Yes. Yeah. I think. I think they will. I mean, right? It's a tough story, but you did a good job of of bringing hope into it. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so well, as always, Laura, this has been a wonderful conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? You mentioned your newsletter, I believe is a good way. right?
0: Newsletter and socials. I um, am active on I have Facebook author page and then Instagram. And I also just started a gorgeous Georgians group for the Georgian era mm. And we op- just opened that recently and have quite a few members over there. And we're, we are give you a lot of a uh, daily dose of Georgian history, oh, you know, neat. fashion and just fun things, you know, food, fashion, do a lot of giveaways I haven't been able to do on other social media accounts because of the rules. Uh-huh. And if you the best way is to find me is to go to my website, larfrance.net dot net, which was redone a year or so ago and beautiful website, thanks to Jones House Creative. And you'll find halfway down the homepage, a little box that lets you sign up for my seasonal newsletters. So I only send them four times a year, but I try to make them fun and informative and, and lovely to look at. So I'd love to have readers join me if you haven't already.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's, A great way to keep in touch with you. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. This was wonderful.
0: Oh, I look forward to next time. Thanks for making my day.
1: Well, friends, wasn't that just the best conversation with Laura? I mean, I've been looking forward to that book for several years, as I said in the interview. And it was so exciting to finally get to talk about Acadia or Acadie, which I keep struggling with pronouncing. I don't know why. I think I just start saying Acadia and misleads me anyway if you'd like to help out the show will you please subscribe or follow the show and rate and review it it only takes like a couple seconds to write a review and it really helps out so much it helps get the word out there and also if you enjoyed this episode share it with someone that you know loves historical fiction and would enjoy this episode don't forget to visit the show notes for important links they can be found either in your podcast listening app or or on my website, alisontreat.com slash B-L-O-G. That's where all the episodes live with their show notes, and you can always find them there. Now, to close out the episode, I always share a quote with you guys. So this time, I'm going to share two quotes, but they are both from the poem Evangeline by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. So the first one is rather sad. Still stands the forest primeval, but far away from its shadow, side by side in their nameless graves, the lovers are sleeping. And the second quote is a little bit more hopeful. Man is unjust, but God is just, and finally, justice triumphs. So keep that in mind, my friends, and keep reading historical fiction. I will talk to you again next week.